0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I kind of felt while I was playing the guitar there at the end, um, I felt the Lord speak something to me. And by a show of hands, who has felt um, just burdened and heaviness and weight and almost like you just can't break through whatever that is that's coming on you? I mean, be honest, like, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world that is heavy. And evil and wicked. And I thought of the story of Samson. You know, Delilah, it's the scriptures say there's one version that says that Delilah lulled Samson to sleep. And she lulled him to sleep because she needed to cut his hair off, right? Because what do you remember what what was the reason for his hair? It gave him what? It gave him strength, it gave him power, it gave him authority. And I think the Lord wants us to know that there's a spirit in the world, it's a spirit of the age that is trying to lull the church to sleep because when you feel sleepy, when you feel dull, when you feel like there's so much happening in the world and in your life, what do you want to do? You actually just want to turn away from it. You want to keep your head in the sand and just pretend that that stuff doesn't exist. And the enemy loves that because then you're not going to use the power and authority you have in Christ. And I would imagine that most of you are here today because you want more of God. Who's here today because you want more of God? Because you want to see him move in your life? Because you want to see him move in the world? I want to see God move in the nations right now. This crazy, evil business that's happening around us Is straight from the pits of hell, and we as the church, we have the privilege to use our voices in it. Listen, you don't have to be the president to make a difference. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have great power and authority that comes directly from the throne room. You can speak into those things. You can prophesy out God's promises, because here's what God wants you to know. I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? We need to open our eyes. So I'm going to pray. Lord, that's just my prayer today. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would open our eyes today. In Jesus' name. Who was here last week for Phil's message? <clears throat> yeah, it was it was so so good. And if you're like me, I was sitting there, my mind was just like being blown over and over and over again. Because Phil thinks in a way that not a lot of us do, where he dives into these nuggets of scripture and he studies them and he looks into them, and then there's all these awesome revelations, which all week long I've thought about the whole is it Rimon, Ramon? So it was the part where he said There was a mistake made in scripture with the spelling of that name, but Phil says he thinks it was intentional by the scribe because the one spelling actually brought honor to that false god. I think the name meant thunderous or thunder, and then the other name meant pomegranate to say, no, we're not going to give this demon god any honor, and that was just so cool. I love it. It was so good, Phil. But this whole series, this Surrounded series, is, I better put this back in my pocket. This whole Surrounded series is based on 2 Kings, chapter 6. Phil touched on it last week, too, where Elisha and the servant are surrounded by the Syrian army. And the servant looks at Elisha, he's like, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs." and then he prayed that God would open the servant's eyes. We're like that servant. We're all like that servant. That's what we do. We focus on what we're surrounded with. We focus on what we see with our natural eyes, which makes sense, right? And who, who would say we're surrounded by plenty of trouble in the world? We're surrounded by trouble in our own lives. There's big trouble, there's little trouble, I myself had a, some little trouble a few months ago. I hurt my neck, shoulder area, and it was really bad. It was super super painful. And I'm not one that likes to go to chiropractors or any of that business. But <laughs> but I mean it was it was really painful. I couldn't sleep for a few nights and I was like, "Okay, I got to go get this checked out." So I went to the chiropractor. He did all the adjustments. I went several times and it was super helpful, but The thing that was really helpful is that he gave me exercises and stretches and these posture correction things to do at home, which I am still faithfully doing because I do not want that to happen again. And if you want to know how I hurt my neck, I get this. I turned to look to the right. I just turned. But that's what happens after you get, you know, what? How however old I am. And now I was carrying a rug, but it wasn't a heavy rug. It was a light rug, but I turned to go up the stairs. Boom. So <clears throat> over the next weeks, and I still am noticing it, you know, if I'm walking around the house, I'm paying more attention to how I'm holding my shoulders, how I'm holding my neck and my posture. And I've noticed, I'll just be walking around the house sometimes like this. <laughs> I don't know, just by myself. And I'm like, and I'll notice and I'll have to intentionally and deliberately Lower my shoulders, breathe, Rochelle, you're, you're just going to fold laundry, you're okay. And this happens multiple times through the day. And I've also noticed there's times where I wake up with a headache or tension in my neck. Anyone? And I'll lay there and I'll be like, okay, what's, what's happening? Well, Rochelle, maybe it's because your shoulders are touching your earlobes. Maybe that's why you're uncomfortable. Maybe that's why you have a headache. So I started to ask myself this question, why? Why is this happening? Why is my body contorting itself into these uncomfortable positions? And one day in the kitchen I had a revelation. I thought, okay, I get it, Lord. It's because I am always ready to fight. I'm going to fight you. I'm ready for danger. (laughs) Jared knows. I'm always ready for danger. I'm always ready for bad news, right? I'm always ready for impact. So I have to protect myself. So I'm always in that state of fight. And you've heard the state of fight or flight, right? That terminology. The state of fight or flight is said to be the physiological response to stressful or dangerous situations. So what happens is our bodies start to release all these hormones one of them being cortisol, the most famous hormone of all. We've all heard of cortisol, and it gets a bad rap. It's actually a good thing, though, but it gets a bad rap. But when we're in these stressful or dangerous situations, our bodies are releasing these hormones, and it basically puts you on high alert. And all sorts of crazy things happen to your body when you're on this high alert in this fight or flight. And I'm going to read some of these things. So your heart rate and your blood pressure go up. Blood flow is redirected, so you might experience things like cold, sweaty palms, or you start shaking. And sometimes when you're in things like a car accident, you actually won't even feel the pain until much later, when your nerves have calmed down. Your pupils dilate to take in more light so you can see better. You become more aware and observant because your senses are heightened, and all the things, there's more. And in certain situations, that's a good thing. God created our bodies to do that so that it actually protects us. That's a good thing. The problem is, many of us get stuck in that. Usually because of some sort of trauma we've experienced in our life, some sort of grief, some sort of accident that has occurred in your life, maybe abuse, some sort of fear or pain that you're trying to protect yourself from, or honestly, just prolonged stressful situations that get us stuck in this fight or flight. Because in this world, we have trouble. We deal with our own trouble. We deal with other people's trouble. How many of you deal with other people's trouble? That's fun. Sometimes we're even affected by trouble that's really far removed from ourselves, right? And social media is a trigger for that. It's a trigger for stress. But listen, I actually don't think that's a bad thing, that we're aware and we can see what's happening in the world, because guess what? We're the body of Christ. We're the church. We're called to intercede. We're called to prophesy and pray. So instead of those things stressing us out, it actually should call us to pray and intercede. But we get stressed, See, we live in a world where we can't help but see what's happening around us, what's surrounding us. All sorts of evil, all sorts of wickedness, fear, 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 right? Just like the servant with Elijah. That's what he saw with his natural eyes. He saw the trouble. He saw the danger. So it's not surprising that many of us are in this constant state of stress. But God is not a God of stress. He says, do not be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. He says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He is not a God of stress. He is a God of rest. He is a God of rest. And it's actually a promise of God. Rest is a promise of God. So I want to look at this. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 16. So this is talking about the Israelites. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So, we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now, interestingly, the more accurate interpretation of the word unbelief in this verse is faithlessness. Faithlessness. Because of their faithlessness, they were not able to enter his rest. Now, skip down to Hebrews 4, 1 through 6. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. This is talking to us. The promise of rest still stands today. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. We're living in the time, that other time that God set to enter in to his rest, to his promises. So there was an entire generation of Israelites Who heard God's voice and you know what when you read the word they didn't just hear God's voice they literally saw multiple times these manifestation you know of of his presence miracles wonders happening right in front of their own eyes but they continued to rebel they continued to walk in unbelief actually they continued to be faithless See, hear me, this is important today. You can believe in God. You can believe his word, and you can still live a faithless life. So, a generation, a whole generation of the Israelites never entered the promised land. They never received the promise because of their faithlessness. Well, two. There were two out of that generation that got to enter the promised land. Who were they? You know. Joshua and Caleb, we talk about that story a lot here. Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land. Remember the story. So God tells Moses, tell my people, I am giving them this land. It's the promised land flowing with milk and honey. It's got all sorts of goodness, all sorts of blessing. They just have to go and take it. Go and take it. Go and occupy it. But in true fleshly human fashion, they're like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if what he says is true. So what did they do? They're like, let's scout it out ourselves because everything goes so well when we do things ourselves, doesn't it? (laughs) So they send the 12 spies to go scout out the land. And what happens? 10 of them come back with a bad report, right? They're like, nope, there's giants. No way. They're going to kill us all. We can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb, they come back with a good report. They said, yeah, let's go do this. Let's take the land because those giants, they're our bread. So what happened is, even though it was years and years later, Joshua and Caleb got to enter the promised land. They received the promise, and it was actually because of their faith. They were looking at it through the faith of what God had already spoken. And let me ask you this. Do you think that their faith was deliberate? Do you think that they had to be intentional in their faith? Absolutely they did. Because guess what? Joshua and Caleb saw the same giants that the other 10 did, but they made a choice. They made a choice to not only believe what God said, but, but to put their faith in it. They walked by faith, not by sight. So, my question to you today is how is your faith? How is your faith? Are you believing what God has spoken? Do you believe his promises? And if you say yes to that, would you say that you have faith to show that you believe that? Because God is still speaking to all of us. He speaks to us a million different ways every single day. The number one way he speaks to us is through his son, through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. He is the promised land. He is our inheritance, he is the rest. He is the peace. He is the strength. He is the hope. But just like the Israelites, we still have a choice to make, to enter in to that place with Jesus every single day, to enter into the rest. But it's a deliberate action. We have to be deliberate in our faith. There's action on our part. And I know we don't like to hear that. We think that, oh, you know what? If, if God wants me to be this way or feel this way or, you know, be like this person in the Bible, then it'll just be all God. No, God has called you to things. There is action on our part. There are things we have to be faithful and obedient in. And I'm not talking about works, right, that you have to do this, this, and this to be saved. I'm not talking about that. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus is my only hope of salvation. I'm not talking about that. But there are things that are required of you to walk in the fullness of God, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want that. So you actually have to move toward Jesus to experience supernatural rest, supernatural peace. Power and authority. How do you do that? How do you move towards him? You praise him. You thank him. You get in his word. You get on your face. You get desperate for his presence. That's our part. But we get complacent. And we get lazy. Usually because we're so burdened. We're so bogged down and consumed by the trouble that surrounds us. So what happens is we actually enter into all those negative things instead of into the promise. So when we're surrounded by unrest, we become restless. When we're surrounded by stressful situations, we become stressed. When we're surrounded by chaos, we become anxious. When you're surrounded by confusion, you'll become unstable if you enter into that. And then all those things just snowball out of control, right, into other negative things in our lives. They produce all sorts of rotten fruit in our lives. And the enemy loves that. He's like, ha-ha, I got them surrounded. They're mine. But Jesus is their open arm saying, enter here. Enter here. I have everything that you need. And the truth is that if all of those things that I mentioned just a second ago are consistent in your life, that means you're failing to experience the rest that still stands. And that verse actually says we should tremble in fear that we're failing to experience that. Because then how are we any different than the Israelites who failed to enter it? It's hard to ask ourselves these questions. It's hard to examine our hearts and our faith it's a hard thing. Do I really believe? Do I really believe God's promises? Do I really believe His word? And if I do, is, is the way that I feel, think, speak, is that lining up with what I say I believe? I think that we're in a place in history where I think the church needs to start taking this seriously, where we start really looking inside of ourselves with Jesus. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Examine me, God. Reveal what's in my heart. Help me, Lord. We have to start asking ourselves questions because when I look around, I see a lack of faith. I see a lack of faith in people who call themselves Christians. And listen, Jesus isn't coming back for a faithless church. Jesus isn't coming back for a church who has failed to occupy the earth. The word of God says it's impossible to please God without faith. And listen, I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect, that you're going to do it perfectly all the time, that you're not going to have times where your faith isn't challenged or where you struggle or where you doubt. There will be those times, but see, you can simultaneously have faith and still be walking through doubts and struggles and pain and all those things. I've had my share of those times, but see, there's a difference between somebody who's walking those things out in faith and someone who isn't. Someone who's walking those things out in faith keeps turning to the Lord, not away from him. And if we continue to do that, if we continue to turn and keep turning to him, you're not going to get stuck in the doubt. You're not going to get stuck in the sin or the fear. Because faith that is active, that is deliberate, acts like a propeller. Even if it feels like you might be going through the mud, it acts as a propeller to keep you moving, to keep you going forward, to come out the other side. Faith is a powerful thing. That's why the enemy is trying to steal it from you. He tries to steal it by getting you to focus on what you see with your natural eyes instead of what you're really surrounded with. And that's the Lord and his provision and his favor and his goodness and his power. So, how is your faith? Are you fearing the giants in the land or are you looking at them like your bread? See, faith is the actual key that enables you to see beyond the natural, to see beyond what you're surrounded with, to see beyond the trouble into the spirit. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? We're fighting against rulers and principalities of darkness in the heavenly places. You know, we. We say that a lot here, but it's like, do we get it? <laughs> and I have to tell, ask myself that. Rochelle, do you get it? You're not battling the people. We're battling demonic forces. That's actually the true reality. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So you have your natural eyes and you have your spiritual eyes. And your spiritual eyes are activated by faith. So in the moment that you put your trust in Jesus and you turn to him, the Bible says that to each a measure of faith is given. So every person in this room who calls themselves a Christian, you have faith. You've been given faith. And don't be the person who's like, well, I must have only gotten a little bit of that. I must have, my portion was small. Or you look at other people and you're like, why do you have so much faith, but I, I don't have any faith? Or I have just such little faith. That's not the point. The point is whatever measure you've been given can grow, and that it can grow some more, and then it can grow some more. Why do you think Jesus said that faith as small as a mustard seed could move mountains? Because the tiny mustard seed can turn into something huge. That tree was grown from a mustard seed. That's the potential of our faith. That's what can move mountains when you water it, when you put it in the right conditions. Here's a good place to start evaluating your faith and where you're at with your faith. This would be my suggestion to all of us, suggestion to all of us, is to pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. Pay attention to what you speak, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You say you're a Christian. You say you have faith. Well, does what you say match up with that? What you say you believe? Because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of negative Christians I know a lot of Christians who are always quick to bring the bad report, who are always quick to complain, who are always quick to focus on the giants and jump on the fear train, which is really easy to do in our world. I mean, we are literally surrounded by bad news, by doom and gloom, by this 24-hour you know, news cycle slash media that I believe is demonically inspired most of the time to cause fear and discouragement. Have you ever considered this? I heard someone say this one time, and I really resonated with it. I was like, yeah, I think that's true. That the mainstream news outlets, most of them, act as false prophets. All they do is prophesy fear and bad news and discouragement. They literally are telling you the opposite of what God would tell you. They're false prophets. And see, fear is Satan's nourishment. He feeds off of that. Because fear will strip you of your power and authority that Christ died to give you. Fear is an enemy. And it blows my mind how often we partner with it. How often we come into agreement with it. And you know why that happens most of the time? is because you don't even know what God's saying to you. Because you're never in this. fear is the opposite of faith and fear is a spirit it's a spirit 2 Timothy 1:7 i have not given you a spirit of fear and when you look at the greek word for spirit in that verse one of the interpretations is demon literally a demon and i believe that's what the text is trying to tell us is that fear comes from demonic spirits The terms do not fear, don't be afraid, have courage appear over and over and over again in scripture. Maybe because God knows that that's the enemy's number one weapon against us. Maybe because God knows also that fear is actually contagious. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a group or at a table um, or in whatever situation and the conversation starts getting real negative? over whatever. You know, a lot of times what's happening in the news. Did you hear what Biden did? Did you hear, you know, Zelensky and Ukraine and all the things? And it's starting to go downhill. Have you ever been in those situations and you're sitting there and you feel it coming on you? You can feel it. You can feel the fear starting to take over your heart. And I know I've been in those situations and I sit there and I'm like, And it's hard to be the one, right? It's hard to be the one to say, you know what? Can we pause? Because remember, we serve a mighty God who sits on the throne, and the the earth is his footstool. I think he's got this under control. But fear is contagious. That's why when you're in those surroundings, that sometimes you feel it coming on you, and it's hard to be the one to take that stand. But what else is contagious? Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. So if you're in that situation ever, do it. Be the one to take a stand. Let your action show your faith. Faith is contagious. Listen, this right here, the church, the body of Christ, we should be each other's biggest encouragers. We should stir each other up with our faith. Continually. Paul even needed encouragement of others' faith. Romans 1, 11 through 12. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Like the Apostle Paul needed encouragement in his faith, really? Yeah, he was a human being. He had his faults. He needed to be encouraged by the body of Christ. So I'm just gonna call us to that today too. Let's, can we step this up? (laughs) I want some people after church that I don't know, if you've never met me, I want you to come and I want you to encourage me in something after church. And if you're feeling really, really uncomfortable right now, like, oh my gosh, it's you, (laughs) it's you. The reality is this, you guys, if you're sitting around a table with a group of people that claim to be Christians, you should never leave feeling discouraged. Ever. You should leave feeling hopeful. You should also leave feeling like you're ready to slay some demons. And you should be the one to be making other people feel that way as well. But we have to be deliberate and intentional in our faith. James 2, verse 19. The book of James is so, so good. He says this. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Pause. You you get his attitude behind this? He's basically saying, whoop-dee-doo. So what? What? Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. James is saying just because you say you believe doesn't mean you have faith. You can be faithless and still believe. And again, faith is the thing that enables you to see beyond the natural. It opens your eyes to the spiritual realm. And that's exactly what happened with Elisha in the 2 Kings passage. And I want to just read this really quick. So 2 Kings chapter 6. I can't remember if I had the verses for this or not. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. When I read this passage, I, I look at it, and I'm like, okay. It was Elisha's faith that enabled him to see in the Spirit. But when I read this passage, I'm like, oh, okay. Elisha's faith is actually what stirred up some faith in the servant so that the servant's eyes could be opened by God. And this is actually what we need to be doing for each other. There's some steps here I want to look at. So if you look at the passage, Elijah first confronted fear. Because remember, fear and faith can't coexist. So he confronted the fear. He said, don't be afraid. And then Elijah spoke out his own faith. He said, there are more on our side than on theirs. And I think it gave that servant just a, enough faith in his heart that when Elisha prayed to God to open his eyes, that it did. But you know what? The servant's natural eyes were already open, so what eyes did the Lord open? It was his spiritual eyes, The servant's spiritual eyes were open to see that there were more on his side than on the enemy's side. And that's what I think the Lord wants to remind us today. There's more on our side than on our enemy's side. And I want to read about some people who are on your side. Interestingly, when you look at that um, verse, and I don't know, Maybe you could tell me more about this, Phil. I don't know. It does not specify that it was like this army of angels. It just said the hillside was covered with horses and chariots of fire. Well, who's manning those things? Was it all angels or maybe was it some of the people that went before us or before them? And that's what I want to read about today. I want to read about some of the people who are on our side. So Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read most of the whole thing Um, because I think we need this reminder of what faith is and what it looks like. So faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we now see, did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying, He disappeared because God took him, for before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is such a good example of that definition of faith that that it's the evidence of things not seen. Because he's building this boat. For a really long time, he's building this boat. And his mind couldn't comprehend What God meant by, what do you mean, a flood? There's going to be that much water? He couldn't comprehend. The boat was the evidence of, you know what? There's a flood coming. Are you building anything in your life that is the evidence of what God wants to do? What he's promised you, what he's spoken to you? What are you building in your life that is the evidence of that? It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Okay, Abraham knew there was more than what he was seeing with his natural eyes. He knew that actually the land, the inheritance, represented something eternal. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed That God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. Now hold on a second. Didn't we just read about all the promises that they received? and all the miracles and all the things God did, yes, but this is talking about eternity. They saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He has prepared a city for us, an eternal home. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on a staff. You know, when you pray for people, when you pray for your kids, when you pray for your grandkids, when you pray for your spouse, that's faith. The only reason you're praying is because you might be a mustard seed, but you've got some faith in there to be praying to the God you say you believe in. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. You know what? That was literally hundreds of years before Moses led the people out of Egypt. Joseph had no clue that his people would be enslaved in Egypt. So sometimes our faith prophesies too. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Who here today needs some encouragement to keep right on going? Well, let this text encourage you today. Keep your eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Come on. Some of us need to literally get to marching, and I think in the physical. Start marching in your home or around your home, or in your kids' bedrooms, or in your own, whatever it is that you feel is a wall in your life. start marching. And you know what? The physical action of marching, that's showing your faith. That's putting your faith into action. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. Do you notice that it says they shut the mouths of lions? They quenched the flames of fire. Quit waiting on God to do the thing that He's called you to do. He's called you to do those things. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others, others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. He had something better in mind. It was Jesus the blood of Jesus that united all of those heroes of the faith, right? All, all the people in the Old Testament under the law are now united with us. We are the bride of Christ, all of us. So after all that, it goes into Hebrews 12, and the first word of Hebrews 12 says, therefore, therefore. Now I know some of you probably read a chapter like Hebrews 11, and you start saying but. But but I'm not Moses but I'm no Noah but I don't have faith like that but I could never do that see but gives you an excuse therefore gives you a reason and there's no buts here okay so therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses some versions say such a great cloud of witnesses I like that better since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. you got to be deliberate. If you want to strip off the weights that slow you down, be deliberate. Be intentional. Especially the sin that so easily strips, trips us up. I'll tell you what, if you're dealing with some sin issues in your life, you will, you will have to be deliberate and intentional to break those things off. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He is the one who is invisible, unless you've been lucky enough to see him with your natural eyes. It's by the Spirit It's by activating our faith that we we will be able to see what's happening in the Spirit. Without faith, you're not going to be able to enter that place of rest with the Lord. You're not going to be able to enter into the place where all of a sudden you're like, okay, in the name of Jesus, where you feel the power and the authority of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit in you, rise up. Without faith, you'll just keep focusing on the trouble. You won't be able to see that there's an entire hillside filled with an army of witnesses. One more witness that I want to mention as I wrap up here is the woman in Luke chapter 8. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And what stood out to me in this NLT version is the word deliberately. See, it was a sea of people around Jesus. Probably hundreds of people touching him on every side, brushing up against him the whole entire time. But see, they were touching him involuntarily, unintentionally. But this woman, this woman deliberately touched him. And it was her deliberate faith that released the healing power out of Jesus. See, her belief brought her to Jesus, but her faith is what healed her. So, as we close out here and as we go into this song, this last song, I want to ask anyone who is here today with any kind of physical ailment, mental or emotional struggle, anything that you have been praying for the Lord to heal you of, things you've been bringing to him, things you're asking for help in, a sin issue, whatever it is, I'm asking that you would take a step of faith today and that you would walk, that you would put action to it, that you would walk up here and come before the Lord. Because I do believe that he has healing for you today. But you have to take the step. You have to put it into action. And we'll have people that come pray for you. And don't let fear, remember fear and faith can't coexist. Don't let fear stop you from moving forward today. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and it is active, God, and it never leaves us unchanged. Thank you that you are faithful even when we are not. Thank you that you have given us every single thing that we need to walk in your power and authority, Lord. Thank you that when we have turned to you, Lord, that we, you've given us at least a mustard seed side, size of faith. And I speak against anyone right now who feels like they don't have any faith, Lord. I pray that you would reveal to them, no, 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 you, I've given you that. I've given you faith. Stir it up in them, Lord. Stir us up, Lord. Stir our faith up. In Jesus' name.